Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter number 15 this morning. Mark chapter 15. Man, it's a blessing to be in the house of God with you on this Sunday. I appreciate your prayers for me and my family. As we traveled, we felt them deeply. I will tell you this. If you ever know anybody that is driving through North Carolina, you pray for them. Amen. Because <laughs> those people in North Carolina ain't got a clue how to drive. Amen. Is that right, Brother Nick? You live there. It's dangerous, isn't it? It's treacherous. And uh, they drive like they got nothing to live for. Amen. And uh, so we, we're glad to be back home. And uh, here all you to worry about is the pollen and the state troopers. Amen. There they might run over you. So we're excited to be back in the house of the Lord. I appreciate your prayers for me and my family. And we certainly missed you uh, in our time when we were gone and excited to be back. Mark chapter number 15. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 15. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 15, we'll read down to verse number 21. The Bible says, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple, and plaited a crown of thorns, and put it about his head, and began to salute him, Hey! king of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you. Lord, thank you for the house of God. Thank you for my church home. Lord, thank you that I've got a place I can come and worship and be around your people, Lord, and be comforted and strengthened and encouraged. Lord, we've come here today because we desire something from you. Lord, we want you to work in our hearts today through the preached word of God. Lord, we've already felt your presence. We know that every ingredient necessary is here. So I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be that missing ingredient through our obedience, through our receptive heart to the preached truth of the Word of God. And I pray that we would allow you liberty, Lord. Help us not to limit you. Help us to allow you liberty to work in and through us on this day. Lord, I thank you for those that are gathered here. I don't know the heart's condition of any person that is here today, Lord, but you know every heart in this room. So I pray if there's one that is lost and undone, that they'll see in the cross of Calvary the only hope, the only help, both that is available and that they need, and that they would come to Christ and be gloriously saved. Lord, I pray that this morning you would have your will and way in us, and we'll be sure to thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being such a precious God. Help us, Lord, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Mark chapter number 15, we have the telling of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is undoubtedly the most important, the most pivotal moment in all of human history. And it is the focal point of the entirety of God's revelation throughout the entirety of God's Word. If you want to know what the Bible is about, you can begin here at Calvary and begin to understand what God has been doing ever since He spoke this world into existence, even down to this present day. It is the hinge upon which all of God's dealings and workings have turned. But it's also remarkable, the passage we've read in particular, for another reason. 
Because when you read this passage about them beating and scourging the Lord Jesus and, and plating Him with a crown of thorns on His head and, and mocking Him and, and, and scoffing at Him, there is a, a mention that is made in this passage that is of deep significance. In verse number 21, we're told about a man who is mentioned only here in Scripture and in the other synoptic Gospels, in Matthew's account of the crucifixion, in Luke's account of the crucifixion, but only this one little phrase is mentioned about this man, and his name is Simon. The Bible says they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, Notice this last phrase, to bear his cross. Did you know this is the first mention in the Bible, along with Matthew's account and Luke's account, but this event transpiring here marks the first mention of the cross of Calvary. It's of deep significance to me this morning to take a few moments and to look at the cross and to consider the context in which God frames this monumental moment, this pivotal moment in all of human history. God introduces us to the cross of Calvary and He does so while speaking about this man Simon the Cyrenian. When I think about the cross of Calvary, I think about what it represents. It wasn't just two pieces of wood. It wasn't just an an ensemble of nails. It wasn't just the physicality of it. But it's the magnitude of what it means throughout human history and what it means for you and me today. We say, well, preacher, what does the cross represent? Well, I'd say, number one this morning, the cross represents God's redemptive plan. Paul talked about the preaching of the cross, the message of the cross, the truth of the cross, that it would not be through a crown that mankind would be redeemed unto God, but rather it would be through a cross that God would perform this redemptive work. And when we talk about the cross, hey, listen, some of y'all, you might be wearing necklaces or jewelry today and you've got a little cross on them. You don't just have that necklace on because you like the shape of a cross. You don't just have that necklace on because you like... Uh, the idea of two pieces of wood nailed together. You have that necklace on or that jewelry on. It is of significance to you because of what it represents. I don't know about you, but when I look at the cross, I don't just think about two pieces of wood. I think about God dying for man. When I look at the cross of Calvary, I think about God setting aside all the glory resplendent of the great honor that He enjoyed in heaven and robing Himself in the likeness of sinful man and being made in the flesh and coming and dwelling amongst mankind, suffering and dying in your stead and in my stead. I think about the magnitude of the love of God that He would think so much of me that He would love me so much that He would take so much thought of me. Oh, but a worm, but dust, but a dead dog am I. But that the God of glory, that the King would die for the beggar, that God would die for mankind, that He would die for me. What a God we have. When I think about the cross, man, it reminds me and it represents God's redemptive plan. But we find as we study the Bible that the cross takes on a deeper significance in the life of the believer. When you read through the Pauline epistles, you recognize that the cross is not just speaking of the pieces of wood that Christ died upon. And certainly it is referencing those. But the Bible will begin to talk about the cross in the life of the believer. And how that the reality of that cross and of the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary should in fact provide a template for you and I in dying to self. We could use this terminology, the cross represents not only God's redemptive 
plan, but it also represents the crucified life. Paul would say in the book of Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of, not by faith in the Son of God. We should have faith in the Son of God. But Paul says, by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, I am dead and Christ is living through me. The cross and taking up your cross in your life certainly has the connotation of dying to self and letting Christ live through you. And I will tell you this, you won't live, uh, let Christ live through you until you die to self. We get that thing turned around. We think we have to let Christ live through us and then we'll get the motivation to die for self. But in fact, we have to die to self if we want the life of Christ to be manifest through us. We have to be willing to put self aside. I'm certainly not speaking of the earning of salvation or purchasing of God's love. Those things are the free gift of God to us by His grace. But if you want Christ to shine through you, then you've got to die to self. So the cross represents God's redemptive plan and it represents the crucified life. But I listen, when I read this passage, I'm not just reading about sinners getting saved. I'm not just reading about Christ dying for us. And I'm not reading uh, Paul's writings concerning the crucified life. I instead read about a man by the name of Simon the Cyrenian. And I think to myself, I wonder what the cross was to him. He didn't know who this man Jesus was. The Bible tells us he's passing by. He wasn't their attendant at the cross. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He is a man. He is a foreigner. He's from another country, from another place. It could easily be presumed that he was there because of the Feast of Passover, although that would have to be speculation at best. We don't know that that was true. What we do know is that he had no business with this Nazarene that day. He was just walking by, uninterested, uncaring of what transpired. And all of a sudden, the voice of a Roman soldier thunders out and says, Man, here, come and pick up this cross and carry it after this dying criminal. Simon picks up the cross and begins to follow Jesus up the road to Calvary. And his life is forever changed. You see, to us, the cross represents God's redemptive plan. To us, it represents the crucified life. But here, to Simon, in this moment, it was just a burden. Nothing more. An inconvenience that had to be dealt with by den of the authority that had barked at him that he was to pick it up. And so he picks this cross up and he begins to carry it. But I think as we look at this passage a little closer in some other New Testament passages, we'll find out that though it began as just a burden, it evidently came to be much, much more to it. Can I say to you this morning, I think that there is far too much of a temptation and there's far too much of a tendency in modern day Christianity to make the idea of the cross an abstract concept that just represents anything that annoys you. Certainly the cross is not just the things that annoy you. But I would say this to you this morning, that to Simon in this moment, this is a burden that he has to carry. It is a trial that he has to endure. And I would say in your life and mine, there will be times that there will be crosses that are placed on our shoulder that we must carry. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning. Unexpected crosses. Unexpected crosses. Simon didn't see this as the great symbol of God's love and God's redemption. He saw it as two planks of wood that he had to help this dying man carry. 
He didn't see it as, as, as symbolic of a, of a deeper truth regarding man's interaction and relationship with God. He just saw it as a burden that he had to carry along. And in your life and in mine, sometimes the things that God places on us, we don't see the significance of them. They're just burdens to us. I want you to notice three thoughts this morning and then I'll be done. Let me say a word, number one, about the intrusion of the cross in this passage. It's almost startling when you think about how suddenly this man finds himself walking through obscurity in the flow of time to being hurled to the pages of God's eternal Scripture. I can say to you with no doubt whatsoever that when Simon woke up that morning, he would have never guessed what that day would have held. You know, sometimes in your life, some of the greatest storms and the greatest burdens and the greatest trials come to you at times when they are unlooked for. I want you to notice three things about the cross and how it intruded, how this burden intruded its way into his life. Let me say, number one, this morning, it was an unexpected cross. He was not looking for this burden. He was not seeking for a burden. And I would dare say he probably would have confessed himself ill-prepared for this burden. But can I go ahead and tell you this morning, most of the crosses you bear, you ain't going to be looking for. You're not going to be planning for. Wouldn't it be nice if life would slow down and only give us problems in a single file line? Wouldn't that be convenient? (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if, if all of our problems would just, just stand politely in line and wait until we have braced ourselves and readied ourselves? But the fact of the matter is, most of the hard trials, most of the deep suffering, most of the large burdens in our life will fall on us at a time unexpected and unlooked for. And listen, you may be sitting here today saying, Preacher, I woke up two days ago and everything was great in my life and now my life is in pieces. You may be saying, Preacher, six months Months ago, everything was a certain way and there was stability and there was ease and there was comfort. And now my life has been hurled into turmoil. Preacher, why would God allow this? It's an unexpected cross. And the fact is, it's not the first one you've had and it probably won't be the last one you'll have. But can I tell you this? Even the unexpected crosses come with unexpected blessings. I would say, number one, it was an unexpected cross. I would say, number two, it was an unwanted cross. No doubt Simon did not want to carry this burden. Who would? It's interesting that the Bible says he was compelled to carry this cross. That's not just flowery language to make your Bible longer. That word is used very deliberately and distinctly. It it, it denotes the idea of someone being adjudicated or being called to something. And in fact, you'll find one of the other times this word compelled is used in the Bible is when Christ talks about the common uh, political or public practice of a Roman soldier compelling someone to go a mile. He would talk about how that we as believers go with someone to not just the one that we are compelled. But most of you probably are already aware that at that time in society, by Roman law, a Roman soldier could require someone to go a certain distance or to carry a certain burden or to perform a certain task. And it's interesting, Simon is not a man who is lovingly following the Savior, anxious to see how he might minister to him. Simon is a man that's walking along, minding his own business, probably trying to hurry past this scene as quick as he can. But all of a sudden, unlooked for, unwanted, this cross is thrust upon him. I wish your life and mine was filled and populated only with things we wanted. Wouldn't that be great? We would have beat Missouri last night. 
but we didn't beat Missouri last night. Wouldn't that be great? Listen, if your metric for God's love is is based upon Him only doing that which pleases you and that which is pleasant to you, you're going to struggle in your Christianity. And you're going to be absolutely uh, awestruck at the things God does. You're not going to understand what God's doing in your life. The fact is, a great many things we need, we don't want. And a great many things we want, we do not need. I, I don't, I don't believe the Lord begrudges a man for not wanting things that are, that are unpleasant or unpalatable. But I do believe He calls all of us to recognize that our desires and our ambitions and our impulses are not the metric for what is helpful and for what is holy and for what is Christ honoring in our life. Hey, sometimes God's gonna give you things you don't want. And you're going to have to learn to love Him enough and trust Him enough to carry that cross anyway. It was an unexpected cross. It was an unwanted cross. But I note also it was an unappreciated cross. He was compelled or forced to carry it. He obviously saw no value or honor in carrying it. Or He wouldn't have had to have been compelled. Now the obvious question, did anybody appreciate that cross that day? I understand the shepherd was smitten and the sheep scattered. But part of the reason we have the gospel records that we have is because the disciples, some afar and some a little closer, were watching, some of them were at least, the proceedings of this day. It's interesting, John didn't offer to pick up that cross. Peter didn't offer to pick up that cross. None of the other disciples offered to pick up that cross. And instead, it was a man who had as little framework as possible to appreciate that cross. He probably didn't see a single good thing about carrying that cross. Can I just be transparent with you this morning? There have been trials that I've gone through in my life that I then and now couldn't see anything good coming out of. I know it's real spiritual to say, well, when it's all over, you'll understand it. But sometimes even when it's all over, you won't understand it. I know it's real spiritual to say, well, someday when things get better, you'll see what God was doing. But you know, some things don't get better. And the fact of the matter is, if your faith in God, if your trust in Him is predicated on Him piercing through the clouds of your trials, you may be left standing there under the clouds wondering at whether God loves you. You're going to have to settle in your heart and mind that even if you never figured out this side of glory, God's still right. It was an unappreciated cross. He didn't see any value. He didn't see any benefit. In fact, if you could have probably been there that day, you would have probably heard some murmuring, probably heard some grumbling, probably heard some complaining, probably heard some lamenting. Why am I having to... Doesn't this man have disciples? Aren't there other people that could be doing this? Why isn't there some soldier doing this? He probably saw no benefit or value in the burden he was carrying. And you, and let's just be honest people, because the Lord can only help an honest person. Let's just be honest this morning and say sometimes we're going through things and we don't see no good in them. We don't see no benefit in them. We don't see no value in them. But Simon probably saw no value in this. As we go a little further in this passage, we find God did have some blessings in it. I see the intrusion of this cross, but I want you to think with me for a moment about the consolation of this cross. There are some things that Simon got by carrying this cross that could have been gotten in no other way. Now, this truth is pivotal to your understanding or at least your acceptance of what you're going through in your life. You have to accept that there are things that God does in your life that can only be done through storms, trials, and burdens. There are some things that are only done on mountains, but there are some things that are only done through valleys. And there are some things that are done in the bright glory of the morning 
And there are some things that in the darkest of the night of what we're going through that God can only do. It's interesting to note that Simon got some things because he bore a cross that nobody else got that day. And there are some things God will do in your life through the trial you're going through that He can do in no other way and that no other person gets to experience. For instance, let me just mention one. I think it's pretty obvious. Let me say, number one this morning, the proximity that he experienced was a blessing. It's interesting the way the Bible says this. The Bible tells us that he's bearing the cross. But Luke is a little more explicit and detailed uh, as a medical man might be in how he, he described this. Listen to Luke's account. In Luke twenty three twenty six, it says, As they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. One of the things I think people misunderstand about is, about this passage is that Jesus collapsing under the weight is no longer able to carry it and so they get this man Simon and he goes and he hefts it up on his shoulder and he walks up the hill and Jesus just follows behind but that's not what happened rather Jesus continued to carry his own cross and Simon is enlisted to come and to pick up the back side of the cross and to carry it after him by the way mm, hey uh, Paul talked about filling up the sufferings of Christ, which are after the flesh. wonder how many of the crosses we're carrying are just the backside of His cross. God's doing a work in this world, not just in us, but through... I might preach for a minute. Not just in us, but through us. And the cross we're carrying, we think is all our own. But the fact is, hey, listen, He don't offer to help us carry our cross. We offer to help Him carry His cross. Say, but preacher, don't He help us with our burdens? Sure, He helps us with our burdens. But those burdens and His helping of those burdens come through us understanding that they are dispensed by the hand of a providential and loving God so that it's not our cross we're carrying. It is His cross that we are carrying. And I wonder how many of the things we've carried in our life have just been the backside of His cross. He is bearing the cross after Jesus. Now that suggests something to me this in this passage. I, let me make this simple statement. He was closer to Jesus than anyone that day. Nobody got as close to Jesus that day as Simon did. You say, preacher, how far away was he? Oh, about a cross length and no further. How it would help us in our life if we'd learned to stay a cross length and no further. Say so tethered to him, recognizing the love, the compassion, the care, the nurturing that he displayed when he died on the cross of Calvary. Wonder how much it helped us never get further than a cross length away from him. He's closer than anybody that day. And listen, I'm not trying to lionize every problem you go through. But I am saying this, sometimes those trials in your life, they bring you closer to him than you ever would have been otherwise. Simon was closer than John was that day. He was closer than James was that day. He was closer than Peter was that day. Hey, there are times that John leaned upon his bosom, but on this day, Simon is closer than anyone else. And it's because of the burden that he's carrying. I don't know about you. I can only speak for me. I'm a broken individual. I'm probably the least spiritual person in this place. But I will tell you this, that oftentimes it is the trials that keep me on my knees. It's the burdens that keep me close. God help me, that's terrible, but it's true. 
It's true. I'm reminded of Mephibosheth in the Old Testament, who after all God did for him, the uh, second Samuel 9 closes out with this truth. It says, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, was lame on both his feet all the days of his life. All that God did for him, he didn't heal him of his lameness. You say, preacher, why is that? Because he would have got up and walked away from the king's table. There's burdens and trials that you experience in your life, and you don't understand them. I don't understand them. Uh, Let me go ahead and tell you, if you think we're going to do a... Take a number ticket line where you come to me and I explain everything you're going through. I'm sorry, the wind is closed. (laughs) I didn't sign up for that. I can't explain everything you're going through. And I'm not going to try to always see the good in everything that's not there. Nor do I think God expects us to have a sort of blind optimism. But we should have a biblical perspective and recognize. I don't mean seeing good things that aren't there. I mean seeing the goodness of God that is there in the midst of your tribe. Here in this passage, the proximity he experienced was a blessing. He would have never got that close to Jesus if he hadn't had to carry that cross. And it could be you'd have never got that close to Jesus if you hadn't had to carry this cross. I think about the proximity he experienced. I think about the path that he walked. The cross kept him in step with Jesus. See, he couldn't wander while he was bearing the cross. And he couldn't step wrong while he was following in Jesus' footsteps. I want to be very careful with what I'm about to say. You may find yourself in in a bad place because of a bad decision. And God may be using that in your life. Just because things are bad, you'll hear people say this, well, at least it can't get any worse. It can almost always get worse. You're underestimating how badly we as human beings can mess things up. It can almost always get worse. And I I do think that just because things are bad, just because you're going through a trial, It doesn't mean you don't have to be wise and circumspect and cautious. Of course you do. There are some people that when tragedy hits, they go all to pieces and make all kinds of dumb decisions. Things that they would have never done when things were going well. Things go bad and all of a sudden they just lose their mind and start doing all kinds of nonsense and behaving crazy. And I'm not suggesting that just because you're going through a trial that that you can't make mistakes and that you can't go wrong. But I am saying this, that inasmuch as you view this as something dispensed from the hand of God and something that you'll have to, by God's grace and strength and help, carry, and you use it as something to keep you close to Him, it will guide and direct your footsteps and give you a safe path to be able to walk. Uh, He he didn't have to worry about whether to turn to the right hand or the left because he couldn't do that if he was going to carry that cross. He didn't have to worry about speeding up and getting ahead of Jesus because he couldn't while he was carrying that cross. He didn't have to worry about slowing down and being left behind because he didn't have to while he was carrying that cross. And in your life, in as much as you view it as something that, that causes you to need the Lord and to seek the Lord and to go to the Lord and to trust in the Lord and to depend on the Lord, one of the great byproducts of that is while you're praying about all that stuff, you'll probably pray about some other stuff. While you're trusting Him for that thing, you'll probably trust Him for some other things. I think about the path that he walked. But then I think about the proclamation that he heard. It's interesting. Luke's account reads this way. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren 
uh, and, and, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck, then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? It's interesting to me that Luke records this for us. Matthew does not give this to us. Mark does not tell us. John does not tell us. But Luke records this proclamation that Jesus makes. wonder why that is. And I don't want to get ahead of myself in my sermon. But I will tell you this. It's apparent to me that this cross changed this man's life. And it's apparent to me that, that he became a believer and became a part of the New Testament church. And it could be that Luke is aware of this detail when no one else is aware of this detail because Luke had spent time around Simon or around Simon's children, which is more likely, and had heard this account, whereas the other men that were not carrying the cross would not have heard it on that day. Let me say it this way. Say, preacher, what good could God bring? What could God be doing? Well, the proximity that you experience is a blessing. The path that you walk is a blessing. I think the proclamation that he heard was a blessing. He heard things that not everybody heard because he was carrying a cross. Now, I understand there was a great multitude and there was a great company, and it's possible some of these others heard and related it and detailed it to Luke. I'll readily admit that. But let me just make this observation. If he had kept passing by, which was what his original intention was, he would have never heard this statement that the Lord makes. It's possible that this statement was one of the very things that drove him to consider his own life and his own standing. I do not know. But what I do know is this, that him being there in that moment, underneath that cross, led to him learning things that he would have never learned otherwise. You'll learn things by carrying a cross that you won't learn in other ways. God will teach you things about himself, about what he's doing in your life. Paul would talk about experiencing the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said, there's things I've learned by suffering I couldn't have learned by shouting. There's things that I've learned by weeping that I couldn't have learned by worshiping. There's things I've learned through my trials that I couldn't have learned through testifying. And listen, I'm for shouting and I'm for worshiping and I'm for testifying. But sometimes there's things that God can only show you and cultivate in you and teach you and grow you in by bringing you through trials in your life. You want, one of the things we're so guilty of, you're probably not, you're more spiritual than me, but I'm guilty of this, is going through trials and never learning what it was all about. Now, I don't mean to suggest I understand everything about every trial I go through or that I should expect to. But I should, in every trial I go through, stop and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me about me? And what are you trying to teach me about you? And what are you trying to teach me about your love and your work that you have in my life? Listen, we don't never leave the classroom. We don't never leave the classroom. I don't care if you're 7 or 70. We don't never leave the classroom. And one of the great tragedies in Christian lives is wasted trials. Wasted trials. God puts you through something because He's trying to grow you in something. And you're so self-interested and you're so self-centered that you miss everything that God is doing and instead it merely becomes a pity party. Hey, He couldn't have heard this if He was complaining too loudly. He couldn't have heard this if he was grumbling too loudly. Sometimes we have to be willing to be quiet and listen to what God is doing in our lives. I read this passage and I learn about the intrusion of the cross. 
And I see the consolation of the cross. But finally, and I'm done, I want you to see the transformation of the cross. He was a changed man because of this. I mentioned this a moment ago, but I'll, I'll give you my reasons now. I think it changed three things about him. And listen, the, the trials you go through, and I understand the application could be made in this passage concerning the lost sinner coming to Jesus Christ. And I will say this, if you're here lost today, what you need is the cross. You don't need friends and, and a support system and motivational speakers and good thoughts and better memes on Facebook. That's not what you need. You need the cross of Calvary. You need Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart and life and to transform you. And He can and He will and He wants to if you'll receive Him. But inasmuch as we think about this man experiencing this burden in his life, this trial in his life, let me just say, you'll go through things that change you. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, One of the great uh, tragedies of our life is to become unchangeable by God. I understand what the Bible says about not meddling with change. We shouldn't change with the winds of this world. We shouldn't change to conform to the culture of this world. But God help us when we won't let God change us. God ought to be able to change anything about your life He wants to change about your life. And we see that this cross, this trial, this burden, it changed this man. Number one, it changed his life. I told you a moment ago, I think he came to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And here's the reason why. Listen again in our text to how Mark says this. They compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Now, we're so used to reading the Bible that we don't ever really stop to think about why the Bible says the things that it does. But if you stop and think about that, I'd ask this simple question. Why would the Holy Ghost, but also why would John Mark, mention the man's two sons? And he says it. He doesn't say... You know, he doesn't give a long, detailed... He just says, Alexander and Rufus. You know, like they're sitting over there. (laughs) The father of Alexander, like everybody would go, Oh, yeah, yeah, we know them. Say, preacher, why would they say that? Well, because they did know them. Now, you might dispute what I'm saying. It's all right, we'll get to heaven. The Lord will sort you out. but. (laughs) But I believe John Mark mentions the man's sons because I think he expected everyone that read that gospel to know who he was talking about. Say, preacher, are there any Alexanders in the Bible? Yeah, there's a few of them. They're pretty much all bad. I don't know what that says if your name's Alexander, but they're pretty much all bad, or they wind up bad. Uh, There's a man by the name of Alexander the coppersmith. I don't believe that's who this man's son is. It's possible that the Alexander is not mentioned elsewhere in Scripture, but there is an Alexander and Hymenius who are both rascals and scoundrels, and probably there could be a whole message preached on these two brothers and the divergent paths that they might have taken in their life. But we do find there's a Rufus that's mentioned. And he's mentioned in Romans chapter number 16, verse 13. Paul says this, Salute Rufus, Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, the question would naturally be asked, why would the Holy Ghost include that? Now, the Lord doesn't have to give us his reasons why he includes everything, but it seems like a pretty good reason that he included Rufus in this passage because people would read the Gospel of Mark and recognize that these two men were the same person. I'm of the belief, and, and again, you're welcome to dispute it, but I'm of the belief that Simon, sometime, maybe this day, maybe someday later, became a believer in Christ, began to raise his family for the Lord, won his wife to the Lord, won at least one of his sons and maybe both to the Lord. In other words, the cross he carried changed his life forever. And it didn't change it for the worse. 
It changed it for the better. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fatalist and I'm not a determinist. Our choices matter. Our decisions matter. And how we choose to view what we go through matters. How we respond to the Lord and what we experience matters. And this man, sooner or later, decided to see that that cross was much more than two planks of wood. And in fact, it was the very hand and working of God, not just in this world, but in his life personally. I will tell you that the cross you bear can change you. There are some people that let it change them for the worse. I've known people go through their whole life and it's defined by some uh, some trauma that they went through. But by the grace of God, we don't have to be victims. We're victors. And by the grace of God, we don't have to go through life with our head hung low, feeling and bearing deeply the scars of some harm or hurt that we've experienced. We can instead rejoice in Jesus Christ and rejoice in what God has done and let that change us for the better. It changed his life. I think by extension it changed his loved ones. Uh, Part of the reason I think that Luke was aware of this is because Luke would have been with Paul when he went to Rome and would have probably met and known Rufus, the son of Simon, personally. It's interesting that Paul speaks of Rufus and his mother and mine. It bespeaks a matronly care that that the mother of Rufus had to her. Evidently, these people, they're part of the church at Rome and they know the Lord and they love the Lord and they're living for the Lord. Can I say that the things you go through don't just change you, they change your kids. And they might change them for the worse or they might change them for the better. And it depends on how you are willing to trust God in the midst of it. I'll not paint flowery portraits for you. What you're going through could wreck your family if you don't trust the Lord in it. It could. It could. There's been a great many generations even of young people who because of some trauma, some hurt that they've experienced in their life have used that as a catalyst, as a a springboard, as a security blanket to cover all of their ill mistakes and bad choices in their life and they've used it to wreck themselves. But then how many have risen from the ashes of trials to give glory to God and to be stronger and more resilient Christians? Say, preacher, how, how can I na- make the difference? Ru- uh, hmm. Simon learned what the cross meant and he taught it to his kids. He learned what the cross meant and he taught it to his wife. He looked at him and said, this cross was not just an incidental inconvenience, but it was a providential blessing. God was doing something spectacular and transformative in our life on that day when he put that cross on my shoulder. And it became not a sticking point, but a rejoicing point in their life. It changed his life. It changed his loved ones. But then finally, and I'm done, I would say this, it changed his legacy. He will forever be known as the man that carried the cross with Christ. That's who he is. That's who he is. It's interesting to think about how our trials can define us. It's interesting to think, and you've probably known people in your life who went through some great trial or affliction or trauma in their life, and that became the thing that characterized them. But just as we've said, it can do so for the worse or it can do so for the better. I believe for Simon it did so for the better. For the better. What a great tragedy it would have been for a man to be that close to Jesus, literally piled up under the cross, and never learn anything from it. 
And what a great tragedy it would be in your life and mine if we came away from the trials that we experience with a bitter attitude and a bitter spirit. And our testimony is not that we were grown, but rather that we were grieved. It's not that we advanced, but it's that we fell apart. It's not that we developed, but it's that it was our demise. Instead, it should be whatever we go through that we come away with it with a testimony to the Lord of how He has been enough and He has sustained us and He has met our needs and He has been all sufficient. You see, we all are going to carry some unexpected crosses in our life. It's not the end of our life. And in fact, it may be God doing something spectacular in and through us, but it's going to take the faith and patience to let His work be wrought out in us. Let's bow together this morning. Musicians going to come and play. The altar is open. I'll not ask you a hundred questions. I've already preached a sermon to you. I'll just ask you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. If He touched your heart about some matter in your life, something you're going through, something you're experiencing, maybe it's not you, maybe it's another. Your heart was broken as you thought about them and the trials they're going through. You're worried for them and you're burdened for them. But whatever it is that God may have spoken to you about, would you care enough about your life Would you care enough about pleasing the Lord? And would you care enough about your decision to meet Him in this altar and to bring it to Him this morning? Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.